In Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, we encounter the reality that the gospel story has the power to transform every single aspect of our story. And that's exactly what we were made for. This is Ephesians, and we're Mercy Village Church in Barbersville, West Virginia. And you can learn more at www.mercyvillage.church. We all love a good transformation story, I feel like. I mean, that's uh, why a Christmas, the Christmas story, uh, or what is Charles Dickens' book called? It's not the Christmas story, it's Christmas Carol? What is it? The Christmas Carol. Christmas stories. Got a little transformation in it, too. It's maybe in a, a little bit of a different direction, right? His glasses are transformed by a BB. But uh, but no, we, when Scrooge, right, like, is who he is for the vast majority of the, of the story, and then in the end is, I mean, just dramatically transformed into a completely different type of person, that there's a reason that resounds with us. At a more basic level, right, like I've got a friend... Um, Jeremy Mullins, he was one of the co-owners of CrossFit Thunder before he moved on. He, he works uh, in nutrition and helping people learn how to eat healthy and, and exercise healthy. And I follow him on uh, Instagram, and there's always pictures, like these before and after pictures of people who have made the decision to start engaging their health in a, in a more intentional way and how they're just... Physical bodies have been transformed by that pursuit. We love a good transformation story. The fact of the matter is, for the children of God, all of our stories are transformation stories. And we use this verbiage sometimes around here. They're already not yet transformation stories. There's, There's realities about us that are already different. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, You are justified by faith. You are right before God. That is instantaneous transformation. But you ain't perfect yet. I'm not perfect yet. There's a process called sanctification that takes a process over time. And one day will be fulfilled in heaven with God. We will be made perfect like Christ. And that change is happening now. We are currently being transformed. Today, as we go to our verses in Ephesians chapter 4, we'll be reminded of how our stories are our transformation stories. Here's the, the takeaway for today. The gospel of Jesus empowers transformation. Okay, so ultimate, eternal transformation gets its empowerment only through the gospel of Jesus. And that transformation, Paul's going to show the saints at Ephesus, That transformation is seen both in the story of who we once were and in the story of who we are becoming. That's all part of the story. The rearview mirror testifies to just as much, it helps to paint the story just as much as what's in front of us as we move forward. It's important that we recognize both parts. So, Father, today what we know not, please teach us. What we are not, please make us. And what we have not, please give us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 4 comes out kind of hitting a little bit hard, it sounds like. It sounds a little harsh when it rolls out 
as we read it. Paul says, now this I say, and testify before the Lord. There's some gravitas to that. What could he possibly say? That you must no longer walk as those Gentiles do, right? That's kind of how it feels in the futility of their minds. (laughs) It kind of feels harsh and mean. Like, (laughs) Paul, what's... What crawled up, you know, what crawled under your skin, Paul? I mean, that seems pretty harsh. Those Gentile losers don't be like them anymore. Well, it's, let's let's learn about interpretation of Scripture together. Just a little, just not the whole thing. I'm still learning about it too myself, so I'm not the best teacher for you. But two kind of lessons about interpreting Scripture that help us know this verse, not just its meaning, but its tone that the tone is set for us right. There's, there's two lessons. One lesson sits within the first one. It's simple. Scripture interprets Scripture. Now, that's not necessarily circular reasoning, but it's more when you want to understand what the Bible says in a verse that's kind of difficult to understand, the first place you should look is other verses in Scripture that are maybe more easy to understand, right? The, the meaning is more explicitly evident. And that that when you try to find the meaning of a difficult verse, it wouldn't possibly, right, contradict the more plain teachings of Scripture in other places. So if you're kind of like, well, does this mean A or does this mean B? I can't really tell. Well, if A aligns with the rest of Scripture, then it means A. That's how that means. R.C. Sproul says it like this. He says, Holy Scripture is its own interpreter. In other words, we are to interpret Scripture according to Scripture. That is the supreme arbiter in interpreting the meaning of a particular verse in Scripture is the overall teaching of the Bible. Now, that's a really eloquent way of saying what I just said. Scripture helps us understand other Scripture. Now, that matters. Because underneath that and within that lesson is also this, and this matters, I think, very, very deeply for us as we come to Scripture. There's something very bad happening out there. I pray that it is uh, not so, I mean, it sounds severe. So I guess I pray that everyone's okay. Um, When we come to the tone of Scripture, like what is God's tone of voice when he says, thou shalt not do this? When he says, you should live this way. Is he like some gruff grandpa, like just waiting to lower the boom on us, right? Because... Right. That's important part of reading scripture is like, what is God's posture towards me when he says that? What is God's spirit towards me when he says that? Or when Paul writes, now this I say and testify in the Lord, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles. Right. Like that's in our day and age. We kind of want to hear it the way I'm saying it. Don't walk like those idiots anymore. Don't walk like those losers anymore. And the futility of their minds Well, the tone, God's tone. God's posture towards his people is understood through the other scriptures that we have. Paul's tone to the church at Ephesus is understood through the other scriptures, the other times that he has talked about things. So let's take a quick trip. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. He comes off pretty harsh here at the beginning. Do you not know that the unrighteous... That sounds like those other people, those other unrighteous people will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. And he gives us a big list of sexual immorality and idolatry and all this 
stuff, nor thieves and greedy or drunkards. None of them will inherit the kingdom of God. And then in verse 11, he says, and such were some of you. So this isn't about others, right? Only, exclusively. This was your story, too. You were those types of people. Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 and 7. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry on account that uh, account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And then he says in verse seven, in these you too once walked. Don't forget, right? Like don't become some arrogant, pious Christian who thinks that now the Gentiles or the sinners are just these others out there. Those fools and the futility of their mind. This was your story too when you were living uh, in those ways. Ephesians chapter 2, we had this about a month or so ago. He says in chapter 2, you, saints at Ephesus, you, Christian, were dead in your trespasses and sins and when she, when, in which you once walked uh, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sun's of disobedience. Now, here's the kicker, right? Because so far you've just heard verses of Paul maybe seemingly condemning other people and uh, maybe reminding us that we're sinful, but he hasn't necessarily thrown himself under the bus. But in 1 Timothy, he does that to himself. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, he says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. Paul says, I, right? The one who let them throw their coats at my feet while they stoned Stephen to death. The one who was going and and ripping Christians out of their homes and throwing them in prison. I am among the sinners too. Don't forget where you were. If you forget where you were, then when you read that verse in Ephesians, you'll read it in a pious tone. Sorry, I knew that was going to happen. We've talked about this a hundred times. I just never learn. Because I'm a sinner as well. If you forget where you were, if you forget who you were, then you will become pious. You'll become entitled. You'll feel entitled to, to all of these realities. Paul wants us to know from the start, and that's his tone, and that's God's message to us this is our story too we were once there in that place what we read in verses 18 and 19 define who we once were he says know your past self right they currently you once before darkened verse 18 in their understanding alienated from the life of god because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That was your story. That was my story. There's still a propensity for that in the in the flesh. We're not we're not made perfect yet. We're still susceptible to that. Notice the progression. First, they were darkened in their understanding. They become became blinded to the truth. 
right? This kind of idea that that truth isn't for me, right? That, that might be your truth, but it's not my truth, right? And, and kind of rejecting the truth of the, of the Word of God, saying That's, that can't possibly be good for me. It might be good for you, but it can't be good for me. Rejecting that, being blind to that. Then ignorant of the direction to go, kind of once you take your eyes off the, the truth of uh, what you should be doing, you kind of can start to wander aimlessly in the wrong direction. More so that word ignorance carries with it this idea uh, of a lack of gratefulness and a lack of obedience. So it's actually a, a, when you fail to recognize the truth of Scripture, what is implied is you actually become a less thankful person and instead become more of an entitled person. And in that, you kind of seek your own direction and you lose your way because you're like, I got this figured out. I can I can do it. That's that's my propensity too. And, and with that comes hardness of heart, stubbornness. And then from there, they become callous to godliness. That's just this this unfeeling nature towards the things of God. You know, like like uh, I don't know if you've ever had scar tissue, right? Like my my daughter does on her right arm and there's places where it becomes extra sensitive and then there's other places where she can't feel it at all like it's just become callous to like feeling that's the idea that that the heart right when you reject when we reject the truth or or live as if the bible isn't the truth for us we lose our direction then we become callous to the ways of of god we're no longer feeling convicted or or directed he then says, enslaved, you become enslaved to sensuality. Now, we have overly probably sexualized that word. That is that is part of what it means, but that's not only what it means, not just a sexual connotation. It has to do with really any sort of indulgence in the things that you think will bring you pleasure, right? So, so in any walk, whether it's, you know, consuming all sorts of content to numb yourself out on your phone, just indulging just rampantly in that, or if it's, you know, some scandalous type of sin, it's all in that sensuality, that, that indulgence in whatever you please. And then lastly, greedy for, you actually start to covet impurity. The things now that you think will bring you satisfaction are things that are actually not healthy for you and will destroy you. I've been there personally and I've watched friends go through that journey. I've watched myself go through that journey. I've watched friends go through that journey. Maybe there's people in your life right now that are going through that journey. Rejecting truth all the way to deeply coveting and holding on to things that are actually unhealthy for them and going to destroy their lives. That process. That process. Paul says that's who we were. There's still a propensity for us to be those people. We've not been made perfect yet. Don't forget it. But he says, right, verse 17 again. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in futility of their minds. He says, stop living self-destructively. Stop it. There's this old comedian. I don't remember his name. And it's a skit that he, he was doing. He's a He's a psychiatrist in the skit. And this lady comes in. She like bears her soul. She's like, you know, I've got all these issues uh, with, uh, I'm afraid of, you know, going outside and stepping on cracks. And she's like describing her OCD to him like very vulnerably. And and uh, she gets to the end of it. And uh, he goes, stop it. Just stop it. 
She goes, what? He goes, just stop it. Like, that's, that's his advice, his psychiatrist's advice. Stop it. Just stop. It's a joke. Obviously, that's not what you need your psychiatrist to, to say to you. But I think of that in the way Paul is very simply, right? now. But know his heart. You have to know his heart. And he's going to get more in-depth into what he's talking about. He's not just leaving us with that advice. But so far, that's what he said. Just stop it. Stop that. Don't live that way. Don't choose that way. It's going, the kingdom, he says, defines what will ruin you. Right? The kingdom, the Word of God knows better what's going to destroy you than you do. And it lays it out. So stop thinking that you can. Right. So that's the negative kind of side of the, the coin. That's the who we were. Now Paul turns to who we are now. Verse 20, he says, that is not the way you learned Christ, he said, that's not the way. We march to a dr- different drumbeat now. But like actually, the resistance in this world and in our society are the people who live their lives according to the word of God. That makes us sound more special than we are. I know that's not I don't mean to like puff us up. But that's the truth. We march to a different drumbeat. We take our our marching orders from a thousands year old documents and a book and from a leader who lived factually and history and died and his followers claimed raised from the dead. But we've never seen him. Right. We, We haven't looked at him. He's never showed up here to be a guest speaker at. Mercy Village Church, and, and, and that's where we take our marching orders from. That's wh- what we conform our lives to, is His truth and the truth of this book. And that's just different than the world. We march to a different drumbeat rooted in a different truth. The truth, verse 21, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. Our drumbeat that we walk to our marching orders are rooted in truth listen this matters it can because it can sound so condescending in our current society to say we know the truth it can because we live in a society and and i'm sensitive to that because i don't want to i don't want to sound like a jerk I don't want to sound condescending or pious. So it's not the goal is not to walk out into society and be like, well, I've got it figured out and you don't clearly idiots. Right. I know how to vote now because I know the truth. Like, that's not the point. The point is more internal. Right. There will be times. Right. Where you're going to have to speak the truth in the public square. But that'll be far less than the times you're going to have to speak the truth to yourself in the mirror. That's going to be the vast majority of what you're going to have to do in your life is speak the truth to yourself. And that's going to have to be rooted in the truth of God's word and the truth about Jesus. That is the drumbeat we march to. And Paul says to us that this truth calls us to a two edged strategy. There's a a two edged strategy that we are now called by God in light of the truth of about Jesus and the truth of the Bible. We're called to implement this in our lives. And it's very, very simple. 
We're to put off the old and put on the new. The words that John Owen, a a Puritan uh, from days of yore, would use is that we are to mortify the old self and we are to vivify the new spirit within us. Put off the old, put on the new. Verse 22, Paul says, this is what you've been taught. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. He says you got to put off, right, this falling in line with just the way you feel about things, just the things that you desire in your heart. That's not going to get you to eternal satisfaction and hope and joy and comfort if you just get in line with your desires and your dreams. Now, again, he's not saying don't ever listen to your heart. He's, he's not saying that, that your feelings are always wrong. And so you've got to become some robot who, who doesn't feel anything, doesn't dream about anything. But he's saying if that becomes your main guidepost, how you feel, then you'll get it right sometimes. <laughs> but you're going to get it wrong sometimes too. Your feelings don't get to drive the car. They shouldn't. Don't stuff them in the trunk, right? It's like kids going on vacation, right? Like, like you can't let the kids drive the car on the way to vacation because you'll die. It's terrible. You will be destroyed. It will not go well. And if you let your feelings drive the car, you will be destroyed. Now, what would also be equally ignorant, right, is to take the spare tire out of the tire well in the trunk and then stuff the kids down in there. You might, it might there's be some benefits to that, obviously, uh, some peace and quiet and things like that, but it's also against the law. It's stupid. It's not good in any way, shape, or form. So think of your feelings that way, right? Your desires that way. They don't drive the car. They don't go in the tire well, right? They can sit in the back seat. They can squawk all they want to. They're going to tell you some things that are good and important and helpful, and that's good. And they're going to tell you some things that are kind of like, who cares? That's stupid, <laughs> Right? And that's the journey. This, this comes from uh, Jeremiah, or, or, or we get some of this advice in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, where uh, the prophet Jeremiah, speaking for God, says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Right, right, like, remember that your heart doesn't get to drive the car, right? You get it right sometimes, but not all. The time. So, so, so then John Owen, he really, he rat, rat, you know, just ratchets it up. This is Puritan talk here. He says, Do you mortify, right? Do you even lift, bro? Do you mortify? Like, do you put off the old self? Do you put your, des- your desires and your feelings in the back seat and tell them they can't drive the car? Do you do that? Do you do, you do that? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it whilst you live. Cease. Not a day from this work be killing sin or it will be killing you. Super dramatic. But the message is true. That if we're not mindful of how our desires, how our old flesh, right, as the word refers, can mislead us and misdirect us. If we we get to the point where we just think that we've got it all figured out, we're going to make a mess of things. So be always mindful of how the old flesh 
the desires of your heart, and he'd put away from you. Mortify the old you. And then we put on the new self, we vivify. These are our last verses, 23 and 24. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Two thoughts on putting on the new self. One, if you put on Versace, you're not Versace. You don't become, you're not Versace if you put on Versace. You're not Armani if you put on Armani. My point is, you didn't make the new self. Just because you put it on doesn't mean you manufactured it. Jesus did that. Through the power of the finished work of Jesus on the cross, the new self has been stitched together and given to you as a gift. So you don't have to manufacture the new self. It's not on you to have done that. The work is finished. Put it on. You Put it on. And number two, and this, you don't take anything else away today. This is what I, what I want you to hear. When God tells you to put off the old self and put on the new self, He's trying to give you something. Right? Like when we hear that language, we can tend to think that it sounds restrictive. Put off the old self. Put on the new self. Don't tell me what to do. I'm an American. This is a free country. I'll do what I want. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Right? But I'm going to do my thing. Don't restrict me. We can misconstrue the thou shalt not and thou shalt as restrictive to us. Do this and don't do that. But he's actually trying to bring us freedom. He's trying to bring us joy and life to the full. Hear me, when God says do this and don't do that, he's not trying to deprive you of something. He's not. He's not trying to take something away from you. He's trying to give you something. He's trying to give you something that your basic human instincts would never be able to get on their own. Apart from Jesus. That's where faith comes in. That God's good design for everything in this life is actually for your good. For your freedom. It's a gift. That what he says about the way we pursue our careers, that what he says about the way we use our money, that what he says about the way we uh, serve others sacrificially instead of, you know, the, the, the last will be first and the first will be last. What he says about sexual ethics and what he says about justice and what he says about mercy are actually him giving us something not taking it away that requires faith because sometimes what we're called to in christ will go right in line with what society sees as good and sometimes it won't sometimes it'll be a completely different different drumbeat What God is saying through Paul is that all other ways lead to carnage. 
But God's way leads to the fullness of life. The fullness of life. But yet we struggle to believe that. I know I do. I struggle to live that. I struggle to buy into that completely. But there's good news. That's what we close with. The good news is Jesus. You see, Jesus was promised back in the the book of Ezekiel to a people who were trying to to get all the thou shalt and thou shalt nots right. They were just in the rigor of the law. You should do this and you shouldn't do that. And they were making a mess of it. Just like me, they couldn't get it right. And, And God says to them, or says to Ezekiel, tell them this message from me. Thus says the Lord God. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name that you have profaned among the nations, which you have profaned among them. He's saying you're making a mess of things, Paul Bokel. You're making a mess of things, people of God. You're not getting it right, but it's okay. The nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. And what you're expecting, right, is that, you know, at least what I'm expecting is when I wipe you guys off the face of the earth for your sin, everybody will see my holiness. When I bring the smack down, right, then the world will know my righteousness, but it goes a completely different direction. He says, I will take you from the nations. And I will gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh that that gets all the put on and put off stuff wrong all the time. He's in the process of taking that out of your chest, man, that heart of stone and replacing it with a heart of flesh. I'll give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That's beautiful. When you fast forward, that was spoken and everybody waited and waited waited but at the right time jesus came and we read what he did in in hebrews chapter 10 and every priest that's how he sets it up back in ezekiel's day this is how it would have been and even after jesus had first come every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins the picture is a priest busy always with sacrificing lambs and goats and and uh, bulls and doves in this never ceasing. Always, always, always. Because everybody keeps getting the thou shalt and thou shalt nots wrong. Everybody keeps putting off the wrong things and putting on the wrong things. And so there's no way to, to cure this mess. And so the priests are making sacrifice all the time without rest. But then what happens? But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down. The priest never got to sit down. Their work was never finished. But when Jesus got done with his sacrifice, which was himself, he sat down because it is finished. The sacrifice was enough forever. So that what could happen? Keep reading. 
waiting from that time until the enemy should be made a a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us after saying this. And he quotes back into the Old Testament. This is the covenant I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law on their hearts. Write them on their minds. I'll take their heart of stone out of their chest and put a heart of flesh in there. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness for these, there is no longer an offering for sin. God makes it right for you. Not by destroying you. But through the sacrifice of his own son. Jesus takes the weight of sin upon himself dies on the cross in your place for all the times I fail to put off the old self and put on the new self. For all the times you fail at the thou shalts and thou shalt nots, Jesus takes the punishment. That's sin. The victory that you couldn't win over that, that part piece of yourself that just seems to always get things wrong and mess things up. Jesus wins the victory. He takes your heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh that is slowly being transformed into a heart that beats more and more and more for the things of God and less and less and less for the things of self. Because what you're seeing is that ultimately what God is calling you to is the best possible thing for you. That's the transformation that God is pulling off in our lives through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. That is true transformation. And that's good news for you today if you're not a Christian. Because you can have your heart of stone replaced with a heart of flesh through faith in Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. It's that simple. Believe that Jesus died on the cross, was raised from the dead on behalf of sinners like me, sinners like you. Respond in faith and you'll be saved. Become part of God's family. That's when that transaction will happen. Your heart of stone replaced with a heart of flesh. You'll begin to love the things that God loves and, and love the things uh, that the Word proclaims. If you are a child of God, two things. One, believe God. That's, my, that's the application. How great is that? Believe God. Believe Him. I know sometimes you don't feel like you want to believe him. Unless you're better than me, because there's all sorts of times I don't want to believe him. I don't want to believe his ways are best because sometimes those ways seem difficult. I don't want to believe that in my suffering and in my pain. I want to believe that his ways are best. I want to try to get myself out of it. Go my way. Believe him. Believe that his ways are best and believe that you've been made new, child of God. When you're failing to put off the old man and uh, the old self and put on the new self. And you think, man. I'm worthless. I'm worthless before God. No, you've been made new. His love for you is unfailing and he is doing a work in you that maybe is slower than you want it to be. But he's transforming you. And there's power within you, believe. So that, that, that brings us to a place where you don't have to create or find the best ways. That's not on you. God's provided them for us. You don't got to solve all the problems. 
God's presented to us a way. And you don't have to self-generate the power to walk in that plan. Because God has provided it for us in Christ. So pray this week simply this. God, give me faith to believe that. Give me faith to believe it. If you don't pray anything else this week, right? You have the busiest week ever. You haven't prayed in six months. Except for, thank you for this food, amen. Pray that. God, give me faith to believe that your ways are best. Give me faith to believe that I've been made new. And then your homework assignment. Everyone loves that. Take two columns, a piece of paper this, this week. And write down three or four things that you need to put off and three or four things that you need to put on. Think about in your life, like what are some of those evidences of the old self? Things that you're clinging to or running to or seeking comfort in that aren't Jesus. Think of it this, when we get ready to to plant our garden, which will be failed by July, but we're going to try every year for the rest of our lives, we're going to get out there and we're going to weed out all the weeds, right? The stuff that that doesn't going to produce, isn't going to produce any fruits or vegetables or flowering plants, we're going to weed all that out of there. And by we, I mean my wife and the kids. They're going to go out there and they're going to weed all that out. And then they're going to seed in new stuff that Matt Simmons gives to us in the kindness of his heart. They're going to seed in, right, Tomato plants, pepper plants, and strawberry plants, they're going to seed it in. Weed out the old, seed in the new. What do you need to weed out of your life? What do you need to seed in to your life? That power comes from God, not from you. The gospel of Jesus empowers transformation. That transformation is seen in the story of who we once were and who we are becoming. So in the power of Jesus, might we put off the old self and put on the new. Pray, Father, I can't even generate that in myself. At the end of every sermon, I'm just reminded of my absolute inadequacy to change lives. As I write sermons, I'm, I'm reminded of the inadequacy that I have to change my own life. But Holy Spirit, you're here. You're present with your people. Pray you'll convict and encourage now, people who are maybe feeling beat up, that you'll remind them of the, the love that is theirs in Christ the welcome that is theirs in Christ, the safety that is theirs in Christ. For those who are wandering, maybe in directions that are going to be for their destruction, I pray that you would lovingly grab them by both sides of their face and and remind them that your ways are best. As a loving Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to this feed wherever you listen to podcasts. We exist to experience and embody redemption and renewal in Christ alone. And we'd love for you to experience what God is doing as Jesus builds Mercy Village Church. Connect with us online at www.mercyvillage.church.